Welcome to another life-changing message from NBC Church. We hope that this message encourages, challenges and equips you in your walk with Christ. Please consider leaving us a review for the podcast on your chosen platform as it helps with getting the gospel out to thousands of people. Thank you. Well, good morning. What a joy to be here, eh? Because it nearly didn't happen. Father, we just pray for Stephen Marshall. And we do thank you for his announcement on Friday, Lord, and the recognition that with misinformation, it was time to change tech. We pray that you keep him humble, him and his whole government. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that your unseen hand might guide the government of this nation and guide the government of this state and counsel them, Lord, from your word and by your spirit. And Lord, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. So we open our mouths and pant, Lord. For like David, we long for your commands. Grant us now that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. In Jesus' name. What we're about to share in together from Revelation 5 is the beginning of a two-part little sermon. It's called The Place of Prayer and Praise. So often we can get unbalanced as Christians, and there are those who rightly recognize that prayer is very, very important. And it's kind of like they're burdened all of the time. We've got to pray for that, we've got to pray for that, we've got to pray for this, we've got to pray for her, we've got to pray for that nation. Glory be to God for such people, because every congregation of God's people, every household needs such people. And then on the other hand, you've got people that are praising God in all circumstances. You know, I've just got cancer. Praise the Lord. I'm going to glory. And everything is just praise. And glory be to God, because every single congregation of God's people and every single household of God's people needs people who praise. But what does it look like when the two come together? So this week and on the 6th of December, we're going to look at what it literally looks like when prayer and praise come together around the throne of God. So we're starting today with Revelation chapter 5. And if you want to read ahead for two weeks today, we'll be looking at the first part of Revelation chapter 8 in two weeks time. So a very simple format for this morning. I'm going to reread through the passage, picking out some noteworthy aspects of this glorious, glorious passage. And then we're going to draw out some implications, some lessons, some things that I trust the Holy Spirit will bring home to each and every one of us, albeit in slightly different ways, perhaps, about the place of prayer and praise. So to set the scene... John is on the island of Patmos, literally and physically, at a literal time in history. And he sees the Lord. And the Lord gives him seven messages, seven letters for the seven angels of seven particular churches there and then on the earth at that time. And they're pastoral letters. They're letters of discipline and encouragement and rebuke. They're letters of exhortation. They're letters of truth. 
for these seven literal churches at that time in history when John the pastor and possibly the one remaining of the 12 apostles on the earth is exiled so that in Nero's eyes he can see what's happening to his beloved church. Little did the Roman emperor realize that Jesus was going to show John what was happening to his beloved church. And then in chapter 4, he's called up here. He hears a voice. So he's a door opened in heaven and a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And chapter 4 gives us this glorious, glorious vision of what Daniel 7 has called the Ancient of Days, seated upon his throne in the throne room of heaven. And he starts to see the 24 elders and the four living creatures that Ezekiel had seen in Ezekiel chapter 1. And after which I would suggest to you each of the four Gospels are kind of like symbolized. And then we read the following. Then I saw upon, the word there is upon, not in, the right hand of him. And it's upon because the, the, the ancient of days the father is holding this which is upon his hand because it's in readiness for what's about to happen. The right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll. If your version there has a book, it's not as good a translation in this particular context for reasons we'll see in a moment as the word scroll. The actual word there is biblion and it's the same uh, Greek word that's used in Matthew 16 verse 9 when Jesus talks about a bill of divorcement. It's a legal document which is part of the reason why scroll is a better translation there than book. But if you've got book, that's fine. Just remember it's really a scroll. <laughs> Seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 32. And we'll see why it's important that it's sealed. It's written on both sides. The context of Jeremiah 32, and remember scripture is its own greatest and best interpreter. If you want to understand what a particular passage of scripture means, it's likely that there'll be something else in scripture that will shed light on this particular passage. Why does God do that? Because God loves us to be in his word at all times and in all circumstances, whether we're prayers or praises, God loves us to be in his word. And it is the glory of God to conceal a thing and the honour of kings is to search a matter about. And we're being given that honour this morning. And we're being given that honour whenever a preacher says, turn if you would to so-and-so chapter or passage or verse like I've just done. And some of us think, oh, can I just stay on the passage? Well, no. <laughs> Jeremiah 32. Context is, Jeremiah is shut up in the house of the guard in a dank dark, stinking prison in a city that is about to fall to the Babylonians. He's in a mess. A mess that he predicted and prophesied and was resolute that that's what God was saying was going to happen to Zion, the city of the great king, the city of David, the city where God set his love upon. And now he can't win because the people didn't want to listen the Babylonians are outside. The whole place is starving. And he's shut up in this dank, dark prison. What happens next? God says to him, your uncle's son, Hanamiel, or in other words, your cousin, is about to come to you in this dank, 
dark prison when Jerusalem's about to fall and he's about to ask you to buy a field. A place called Anathoth, not far from here. Probably didn't look like a field at the time. It was probably currently being trampled on by the Babylonian uh, army and machinations of war. And God says to Jeremiah, buy it. 17 shekels of silver. Now notice about the scroll that we're about to read about in Jeremiah 32, verse 6 and a little bit onwards. And notice the importance of it being written on on both sides. Jeremiah 32, verse 6. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. We're not told about Hanamiel's motives here. He's probably thinking, I need to get rid of this field because, uh, you know, Babylon's here and at least I can make a little bit of money. Some people, some things don't change, do they? Eh? Whatever circumstances. Then Hanamiel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Notice that. The right of possession and redemption is yours. You're my kinsman. So therefore, you've got the right to buy this. That's important for our Revelation passage, for what's about to happen next. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamiel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. Now, the open copy is the, sign, is the, is the side that is uh, there for all to see. This is... A sale of transaction for so-and-so's field, Hanamiel's field, in Anathoth, and Jeremiah is about to buy it. That's what it says. On the back, where it gets sealed up, is all the terms and conditions, all of the small print. So both sides speak to the deed, the transaction, the purchase. One in very simple, obvious language, and the other in greater detail. That's what we need to know about when we come to Revelation 5. So turn back to Revelation 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John is a pastor. That's why he weeps. That's why he weeps about the state of the earth. And that's what prayer is about. It's about weeping over the state of the earth. It's about weeping over the state of our families. It's about weeping over the state of our communities. And when we weep in such a way... When we seek God in such intercessory prayer, we're praying about the fact that we know he owns all this. Because this scroll that John is being shown here is the title deed of the whole earth. That's why we're given the passage in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah was given a title deed for a field in Anathoth at a time when the skies were black, at a time when the city was starving, at a time when he was shut up in the gate of the king, of the guard. 
And it looked like, what's the point in buying that field? Just like sometimes when you weep in prayer, it's kind of like, "What, Lord, why am I doing this? Because nothing's changing. You ever felt like that in prayer? John felt like that in prayer. Let's read on. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, who are the elders? There's 24 of them, Revelation 4 has told us. 12 plus 12. We're never specifically told, though the relevant, pertinent passages in Scripture strongly, strongly point to the fact that the 12 leaders, the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel, and the 12 apostles are those that make up the eldership in heaven. So one of them steps forward, and we're not told who he is. But there's two possibilities. Number one is Judah himself, the head of the tribe of Judah. But notice, there's no room for pride if it is Judah. He doesn't even mention, oh, look, my tribe's got the victory here. My tribe's got the preeminence here. It's all humble. Because Judah knows, still remembers, what he did to Tamar. Judah knows, still remembers, what he did to Joseph. He knows it is all of grace that his tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has conquered and is worthy. And the other possibility is, it's not Judah. It's one of the other 23 elders, one of the apostles, or one of the other 11 leaders of the tribes of Israel. Because how many of you know that grace leads to preferring one another in love? So this elder, whoever he is, isn't saying, oh, look at me, my tribe. This leader, whoever he is, is saying, look at him. Look at the lamb. Look at the one who's about to walk into this throne room of heaven. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. What did John the Baptist say at the beginning of John's gospel? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, here's the lamb in glory. He is the lamb who still bears the, the marks of being slain. You know what the Greek word there isn't so much slain, it's slaughtered. A lamb who had been slaughtered. Beautiful story, about 30 years ago I was studying at the Nazarene Bible College in Didsbury, Manchester, England. And every Tuesday morning we used to have a chapel service. And we'd have a different visiting speaker to speak at our Tuesday morning chapel service. Our lectures started at 7 o'clock in the morning and we'd take a break at half past 8 for coffee and then we'd go into chapel. This particular morning, I can't remember the fellow's name, but I remember the grace and the love that was part of his whole demeanour as he preached on obedience. And he was telling us about 25, 30 years before, so back in the 1960s, he was on a cycling holiday down in the south of England in an area called the Cotswolds, where William Shakespeare came from. And he was cycling into this village. And as he started to come up onto this humped back bridge over a stream on the outskirts of the village, he felt the Spirit of God say to him, Shout! Proclaim! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! And somehow... He felt to himself, I've got to shout that loudly. So as he, drives, as he cycles over this bridge, this old stone bridge in the middle of the Cotswold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just as he's about to say, they have done it, Lord. Can I move on now? 
He felt the Spirit of God say, right, do a circuit, come back and do it again. So over the bridge he goes again. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's thinking, this is good, but I'm glad there's not too many people watching. (laughs) And guess what? The Spirit of God said, and again. So he goes around the village again, comes back to the old stone bridge as he's crossing the river. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this time he's thinking, I'm not going to do this all day. I'm going to do this all week. But then he suddenly had a liberty. Right, that's it. Off you go. And 15, 20 years later, he was speaking somewhere in England about obedience and about how sometimes it feels like it's blind obedience because God never ever gives us the result or the outcome or whatever. So he told the story that I've just told you. And he ended that little snippet, that little illustration about the importance of obedience by saying, and I still don't know to this day what that was about. And at the end of that service, he shook everybody's hand. And everybody said, what a lovely sermon. And everybody said, what an amazing thing that you would shout that three times. John 1, 29. His lady's standing back. He says, Pastor, I want to tell you about where I was 20 years ago. I was in my kitchen a little village and there was a beautiful stream outside ducks but I couldn't take any pleasure in any of it because I was so, so low and so, so sad and I didn't even know what the cause of my sadness was so I couldn't address it but I had no energy for anything and I remember looking up at the sky on this beautiful summer's day not being able to take any pleasure from the sky thinking, what am I like? what is this about? And suddenly I heard a voice Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I thought, could that be God? And I was reminded of when I used to go to church as a little girl. And something that felt a little bit like hope began to grow in me. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry I haven't prayed for so long, for so many, many years. If that was you, would you please confirm that that was you? And she said, I heard the voice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was a distinctive man's voice. Sounded like it was coming from the bridge. And she said, I started to weep at this point. I started to cry because I realized that my depression, my sadness, was all to do with the things I'd hankered after. All to do with the things I'd tried to fill my life with. And I'd missed the whole point and purpose of my life. And I said to the Lord, Lord... Just one more time. Let me know that it's not too late for me, would you? And you know what happened next? So here's the lamb, standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Seven horns. Horn in scripture is always a symbol of power, usually kingly power. So the seven horns are about perfect power. Seven eyes, all-seeing, all-knowing, omniscience, perfect knowledge, perfect knowing. God knew that fellow on his cycling holiday in the Cotswolds was going to pass the window, though he couldn't see it, of the woman who was depressed and who had wasted her life so far on the things that cannot fill or satisfy. 
God knew the state of the heart of that woman at that very, very moment. Seven eyes, omniscience. And the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Omnipresence. God is everywhere, all at once, perfectly. Which is why, if you're anything like me, and you've ever tried to do things that God said, don't do that, and then you do it, suddenly the whole of your existence feels like it's out of joint. Because it is. Because our lives get out of joint whenever we don't live in perfect obedience, however imperfectly we try and live it, to he who is all-knowing, all-seeing, and all-powerful. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He went and took the title deed of the whole earth, the whole of creation. There was a reason why you felt led to major on creation this morning. There was a reason why you felt led to give us Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 and to mention the fact that creation seems to be coming up a lot at the moment. That's virtually what you said, wasn't it? (laughs) Because this, this scroll, is the title deed of the whole earth. I have the privilege at times of, you know, going to morning Eucharist in the Anglican Church in Mount Gambia. And some people frown at liturgical churches. But you know what? Every single week, I hear the following words. In fact, I'm part of saying the following words. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. Glory be to God for the creeds. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the one that looked like the lion, the one that looked like the calf, the one that looked like the man, the one that looked like the eagle in flight, and the 24 elders, which we're assuming are the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. If you've ever, ever, ever felt, God, you don't answer my prayers because I prayed for so long and I didn't see the answer. What was that about, Lord? This is what that was about. Because it's still to come. David says in Psalm 141 verse 2, May my prayers be to you as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. We were praying earlier this morning, David and I, and God spoke to us about the evening offering. What happened at the time of the evening offering? Daniel received the visit... From Gabriel, who said, from the moment you began to pray, your prayers were heard, David. And I stand in the presence of God and I've come to tell you the answer to what you were praying. At the time of the evening offering, you can check it out in the book of Daniel. The prime minister of Babylon was spoken to by an angel at the time of the evening offering. 
Peter and John went up to the temple to pray when they're still a bit bewildered about what is this about? What has happened to us? We know that we saw Jesus die. We know that he's risen again. We know that we've been filled by the Spirit of God. We've seen him speak to men and women from all nations under heaven. But we're still not quite sure how this is meant to work out. And at the time of the evening offering, there's a beggar sitting by the gate beautiful as if the name of the gate beautiful is mocking his lameness, mocking his handicap, mocking his disability. And all he wants is some money for the next piece of bread. And Peter and John say, well, one of them stands back praying, while the other one has the privilege of saying, look at us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That happened at the time of the evening offering. And Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, praying in his house in Caesarea. And an angel comes to him and says, your prayer's been heard at the time of the evening offering. And doesn't preach the gospel to him because he wants to give another human being the privilege of preaching the gospel to him. And he says, send men to Joppa where Peter is and he'll come and preach the gospel to you. God could do all of this on his own, by himself. He doesn't need us. But he wants us through our prayers to recognize what a joy, what a privilege, what a blessing we've been given to share the love of Christ with other human beings. There's one prayer, and you've heard this before, that wasn't answered at the time of the evening offering, three o'clock in the afternoon. Lama, Lama, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's why he's worthy to take the scroll, to take the title deed of the earth sealed with seven seals. The open side in all its simplicity. The earth belongs to God. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I always forget the name of the street. I think it's Grenfell Street in Adelaide. Just off the parkland there. Just off Hutt Street. There's an old market area. It's plush apartments now. Very, very posh. But above the gateway where the carts used to enter with the produce and leave at the end of the day, what does it say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 1903. People knew a thing or two in 1903. All oh, that our leaders and ourselves, we would get back to the simplicity of the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Because that's what it says on the outside of this title deed. The scroll of creation. I was thinking this morning, the fellows on the ship with Jonah, when he's on his way to Tarshish, they knew more pagans that they were about the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof than what we do in our, in our day with all of our technology and with all of our Pfizer medical vaccines and all of that kind of thing. Because what do they do? They run down into the hold when the storm breaks up on the ocean and they've never seen a storm like this before. And they say, what are you doing asleep? To Jonah, get up and pray to your God. Perhaps he will deliver us. Perhaps he will have mercy upon us. By the way, who's your God? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. He's the God of Israel. 
the maker of heaven and earth. And then they're really shocked. What? We've heard of him. What are you doing running? He is the true God. Somebody should write to our world leaders and share that passage with them. Anyway. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Remember Jeremiah 32? You're the kinsman. You're the rightful owner. You can buy this. That's what the word worthy means here. You have to be the rightful owner to open these seals. And what's more, you have to be a kinsman. Because God had given the stewardship of this planet to man. And ever since the moment where the serpent said to Eve, has God really said that? And Adam and Eve had both eaten of the apple. The serpent had been tormenting the saints of God, saying, it's not yours anymore, it's mine. So it had to be a human being. Son of man, son of God, rightful owner and kinsman, who was worthy to open the scroll. And if you want to know more about that, let the book of Ruth interpret that for you. For you were slain, you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Notice there's four clauses there, every tribe, language, people and nation. Four in scripture always refers to the four corners of the earth, the four winds of heaven, the four seasons. Wherever you see the number four, especially when it arises with repetition as it's about to here, you know he's talking about the whole of creation. And let me tell you something as well about the way that those words are written there in scripture. Every tribe, language, people and nation. We would have said a whole bunch of folk from all across the earth. That was folk. F-O-L-K. A whole bunch of people from across the earth. But God doesn't say that. He says tribe and language and people and nation. There's a lesson here about prayer. Given that we're talking here about the place of prayer and praise. Prayer is always meant to be specific. God calls individual saints to pray for specific people, specific tribes, specific nations, for Bible translation to happen into particular languages. Because he knows we cannot cope with the whole lot. But he gives us the privilege of praying specifically and intentionally for little bits that matter to him. Do you know what? I pray regularly for Levan Akalmo Sulishvili and for Zura Banana Kutsishvili. If it wasn't for prayer, I couldn't pronounce those words. Livana Kalmosulishvili is a medical doctor and evangelist in Georgia, rural Georgia, not Georgia, America, that's just recontested their election or recounted or whatever they've done. Georgia, of which Tbilisi is the capital. Livan, uh, sorry, Zura Banana Kutsishvili, minister in the villages of Svideba and Jugani and Gurgayon and Gudzani. There was a time in my life when God called me to pray for Uzbekistan. I didn't even know where Uzbekistan was. 
Now I know because I pray regularly for Imorat Kaibu Romanov and for Gafor Yusupov and for Denis Podorosny. I'll never meet them this side of glory. But you know what? Because of this, one day when I'm in heaven and they're in heaven, I'm going to say, you're Levan Akalmosulishvili. You're Imorat Kaibu Romanov. Glory be to God. I love you, my brother. And he say, you prayed for me, didn't you? Because I prayed for somebody with an odd name like Philip Galley. I mean, what sort of name is that? What country does that come from? God calls us to be specific. So if you don't have a specific burden for a specific nation or a specific tribe at different seasons of your life in your prayer life, maybe you need to be saying to God, Lord, teach me the Georgian language. Teach me where Samarkand and Bukhara and Kashi and Quigon are. Bible Society magazine. Two-page obituary. Joseph and Jonas, both slaughtered recently in northern Cameroon, separately in separate incidents by Boko Haram. Both Bible literacy project translators and leaders. One 30, 42 years of age, one 36 years of age. And Boko Haram are now mocking their families because the widow of Joseph has had to retreat up a mountain with her children and she had to send the kids through the jungle recently to try and go and find some plastic mats so that they weren't lying on the dirt amongst the lizards and the reptiles and the lizards are reptiles, insects and everything else like this on this barren mountain where Boko Haram couldn't find them. That's how specific... God wants us to be in our prayers and in our praise, in our burden and our responsibility and in our tears. May my prayers be to you as incense. Incense is only made from broken, precious things. Every single ingredient of incense is broken and crushed. Before it can become incense. Back in 1956. 4th of January 1956. Jim Elliot. Pete Fleming. Ed McCulley. Nate Saint. Roger Judarian. Had been praying for the Wa'adoni people in Ecuador. For two or three years. Along with their wives. And on the 4th of January. They went to a beach which Nate the pilot had called Palm Beach in the middle of Watadoni territory or rather on the edge of Watadoni territory and uh, Nate Saint said this we believe that in a short time we shall have the privilege of meeting these fellows the Watadoni once called Aukas with the story of the grace of God notice those words we believe that in a short time we shall have the privilege of meeting these fellows with the story of the grace of God. There were five men. And on Friday the 6th of January 1956, three Wa'adoni came out of the forest, two women and one man. And they spent the day with them. Nate even took the warrior, Nenkiri, up in his plane. And he tried to jump out, or tried to get on the wing, because he just thought it was so amazing to be on a plane. Friendship was birthed. And that afternoon, Nate and Jim and the others radioed their wives 40 miles away in another territory in Ecuador and said, we've met them. 
And what's more, the older woman actually stayed sleeping on the beach beneath their sleeping platform. She was so blessed. She was so encouraged by meeting these people that she couldn't understand a word of what they said. Nothing happened on the Saturday. And Nate was up in his aeroplane on the Sunday lunchtime and he saw a party of Wadoni making their way towards Palm Beach. And they landed, he landed about 12.30, told the others, and they radioed in, and they said, we'll radio you, we don't know what's going to happen, but we'll radio you back at 4.30 this afternoon. And most of you here know what happened. The Wadoni speared them all to death. And three days later, a party of missionaries and Ecuadorian soldiers and US soldiers found their half-eaten bodies face down in the river because the piranhas had eaten half their flesh. And what had Nate said? We believe that in a short time we shall have the privilege of meeting these fellows with the story of the grace of God. Five, the number of grace. Five wounds in his side. Five small, smooth stones that David picked up from the brook. They met them with the grace of God and laid down their lives in the process. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. The other part of that story, of course, is eight months later, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's widow, and her ten-month-old daughter Kathleen, sorry, Valerie, went to live amongst the Wadoni. They shared a sleeping area with one, two of the fellows that had speared her husband to death. And there's a glorious moment in Elizabeth Elliot's journal when Minkai, one of these Wadoni warriors that had slaughtered the five American missionaries, comes to her and says, you are my sister. And she thinks, okay, where's this coming from? And he says, and your husband is my brother because he is still living with our Lord. And she realizes that Minkai, the grace of God, has taken hold of him. And he became a church leader amongst the Wadoni for the next 40, 50 years. God is always specific, which is why he talks about tribes, languages, peoples, and nations. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign over the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Now notice the inscriptions here in a moment. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. There's four inscriptions there. Power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So there's seven in total. And I heard every creature in, in her, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. By the way, that phrase in heaven and on earth and under the earth first appears in Philippians 2 verse 10. Check it out where God is, where Paul is talking about. Let's actually look at it. Philippians 2. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became a, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You'll find it too in Luke chapter 12, verse 50. So first a script, set of inscriptions, seven, spiritual perfection. And then here we have it, the four. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Verses 12 to 13 there are doxologies. Just let me get some water. The Greek word doxa means glory. And logia means sayings. Doxologies are glory sayings. Isn't that beautiful? And there's two there. One with seven ascriptions to the Lamb, spiritual perfection. One with four ascriptions to the Lamb, the whole of creation. The whole of creation is going to be spiritually perfected by the blood of Jesus. No wonder we say or sing the great doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. You see the power of praise. Isn't it glorious? We just sang a glory saying together at a time of COVID. Somebody in years to come might say, you know, the whole world was clamoring for a vaccine. And this bunch of people in Narakot, they sang the great doxology. Which one was wiser? Verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We've just looked into, by God's grace, the place of prayer and praise. In two weeks' time, we're going to see prayer and its fruit and its fulfillment being poured out upon the earth. And I'll save that sermon for then. But in preparation for that sermon, and to close today, I'd like you, if you've still got your Bibles open, to turn to 1 John 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 19. And depending on what translation you're using, this is what you'll read as John concludes his first letter to the churches that he loved so much. And we know that we are from God. Or... And we know that we are of God. And that the whole world lieth or lies in wickedness. 
Some of your translations might say in that second part, and the whole world lies in the grip of the evil one. But where are we from? We're from God. By God's grace, we're from Revelation 5 territory. And God's kept us here because the whole world lies in wickedness. The whole world lies in the grip of the evil one. And he's given us two key weapons so that his light, his love, his redemptive power, the worship of Jesus may be, might be made manifest in this world that lies in the grip of wickedness. He's given us the weapon of prayer and the weapon of praise. He's given us other keys as well, like gathering together in love and observing the royal law, for example. Like gathering around his word so that we know what our prayers and our prayers are meant to be informed by. But in the same that he, by his grace, has just allowed us to partake of and share in and look into, we see the 24 elders praising God. We see the four living creatures face down in worship. And we see every single prayer that any and every saint of God has ever prayed as incense before the throne of God. May God grant me and you the grace to never again say, Lord, I don't know why you don't answer my prayers. It's a very human thing to do because we get beaten down. We get discouraged. We get isolated. But the title deed of this earth has been given to the lamb that was slain. The lamb that paid the price for your sin and my sin. The lamb that says to you and to me and to every single person on this earth, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my intentional, purposeful yoke upon you and learn of me through prayer and through praise. For I am meek and lowly and hard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that David was right earlier. Revelation 5 is a powerful passage. And we thank you, Lord, that Paul was led to speak about creation for a very particular reason today, Lord, as well as the fact that he was speaking the truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were and are worthy to take the scroll, the title deeds of this whole earth, because the whole of creation will one day be spiritually perfected in you. Until that day, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would keep us focused, keep us intentional in our prayers. Help us, Lord, to order our prayer lives as you would order them, Lord, according to every tribe and people and language and nation. 
and keep us praising you, Lord, from whom all blessings flow, so that we might never grow weary in well-doing. Lead us into this week, Lord. Lead us into this world, Lord, that is in the grip of wickedness. Not that we might become part of it, Lord, but that we might be active soldiers of your army invading this world that lieth in the grip of wickedness with love and light and truth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church today. We pray that this message deepened your relationship to Christ and drives you to action. Our church is at 1 McDonald Street, Narracourt, South Australia, 10 a.m. Sundays, and you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please consider leaving a review as it helps to expose people to the gospel and great teaching across the nation. Thank you.